0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Cameron asked me a couple months ago to talk about, or to continue this series, and he asked me what my favorite parable was. And for me, it was so easy. It was uh, the parable of the two builders. Uh, that, that parable has been such a, no pun intended, that's been such a foundational message in my life. And it's helped shape the, the Christ follower that I am today, the, the truth uh, that, that I just chase after the truth uh, and nothing else. And it's helped shape who I am today. But as I started to write it, um, I ha- actually had a really difficult time writing this message. Um, my heart actually started to break for uh, the church. I'm not talking about Impact Church. I'm talking about the church as a whole. More specifically, I'm talking about the North American church. Um, I believe there's so much deception uh, in the churches in North America and in the culture of North America, and my heart breaks for, for um, some of the stuff that's taught in some of the churches in North America um, that are not biblically based. And I believe that, um, I believe that there's a, a spirit of religion over a lot of these churches, uh, and, and there's a spirit of religion over the city of Kingston, and, um, and, and I, I believe that when you, when you talk about something, when you shed light on something, it exposes the darkness, right? That's, that's all of what Cameron's message series was last year, last summer. He talked about unmasked, and, and so this morning, um, my goal for us is to, to shed light on some dark areas, and to, to, to bring things to the surface so they can be dealt with, Okay. Uh, because I believe that there's there's a mandate over our church, over Impact Church, uh, to to break and to shed light uh, this spirit of religion that's over this city, and uh, and um, and this is something that Jesus was very passionate about. You know, he literally, literally like flipping tables. Uh, I wish we should have kept the table from the first one. I just. <laughs> So it's something that Jesus was very passionate about, so it's something that I'm very passionate about. Um, And and I believe that our church, as an apostolic church, that there is that calling to break that spirit of religion that's over this city. uh, And it's so strong in our culture. And this is something that I'm going after with everything I got. And I just want to invite you guys to come with me. I want to invite Impact Church to go after this thing with everything you got. To step into the mandate that's over this church. To, 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 to break the spirit of religion. To shed light on it. And to, to bring people from, from a dead uh, religion to a living relationship with Christ. Are you guys with me? Now, I want to actually start with a little disclaimer. I don't think I've ever started a message with a disclaimer. Um, but this message this morning... Um, know that it's not aimed at any individuals, okay? It's not aimed at any churches specifically, and it's not aimed at any groups, okay? You guys good with that? It's about breaking the false doctrine that's been spoken in churches in this culture in the last century, okay? So, um, I'm gonna stop talking. I'm not going to stop talking. Uh, I'm going to stop blabbing. And uh, we're going to get to some Bible verses. Cameron, you got your work cut out today? I have like a thousand slides. Um, so let's get into this parable. Probably a good place to start. So it's in uh, Matthew 7:24 to 27. It says, therefore, this is Jesus talking. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So um, I'm, gonna, I'm doing things a little differently, okay? Uh, if you're used to my messages, this is probably something a little different that I'm going after this morning. But I just want to rapid fire on some, some key points uh, that I want to hit as... With this parable and there's one thing there's then we're going to get into some real meat and potatoes uh, of one part and if you guys are lucky we'll put a little gravy on the side too Um, but there's there's a lot of significance in in where this message is located okay it follows immediately after the sermon on the mount okay now the sermon on the mount is basically how to live the christian life jesus is telling us what it looks like to live the christian life um and and he he's this message is actually spoken to christians Right? This parable is spoken to Christians. He's talking about believers. Okay? Both, hearers, both are hearers of the word. Right? There's the unwise builder and the, and, the, and the wise builder. Both are hearers of the word. It's not a message to unsaved and to saved people. It's a message to, to people who have heard the word of God. And very, very simply breaking it down, it's talking about the importance of having a foundation on the Word of God and the foundation in a life of Christ, right? And, and, that's, and Jesus talks about the importance of putting what we hear into practice. Okay, that's, that's what he defines as wisdom. That's how he describes how wise people live. Not by what they know, not by the teachings that they hear, but how they put it into practice. Okay, I once heard somebody say that wisdom is the application of knowledge. It's totally different to just hear something, but it's something totally different to actually step into it and to do it, okay? Now, notice that Jesus only gives us two options. He says there's only two options. We either build on the rock or we build on the sand. Just like there are two roads, right? There's a narrow road that leads to a narrow gate, and there's a wide road that leads to a wide gate. There's two options. There's no in-between. We're either all in or we're not. We're either hot or we're cold. There's no lukewarm when it comes to God. There's no in-between with God. Now... um, also, with these houses, I believe that you wouldn't be able to tell from the outside what their foundation was built on. Just like Richard alluded to earlier. You, know, you could, wouldn't be able to tell from the outside what was going on in the inside, that he was broken on the inside. And I believe that, that's, that just like in this, in this parable, that you can't tell what somebody's foundation is looking from the outside. Okay? But it's, it's when that foundation gets shaken, when it gets rocked a little bit. You know, when people go through like, uh, some hard times, hard financial issues, or health issues, or, or relational issues, that that foundation gets a little rocked, that we find out who the true person is and find out what their foundation is actually built on. Now, it would have been a whole lot easier to build on sand, right? You probably would have got it done a little quicker, you, you would have saved some money, and, and you would have been relaxing on the beach or whatever. It would have been a whole lot easier to build on the sand, but, and you wouldn't notice initially. You know, it's the same with our lives. It's always more attractive to do the easier thing, right? It's a lot easier. It's, it's kind of what, we're, what, we, what we trend to is, is the easier thing. It's a lot easier, just like it is to carry a very shallow faith, right? It's a lot easier to show up to church on Sunday and put on a smile for an hour and a half and go home and nobody can tell the difference usually, right? But the problem with that is, is Jesus tells us there's a storm coming. That's the best part of this parable. He warns us there's a storm coming. How would you prepare if you knew that there's a storm on the horizon? Look at the states and, and the Caribbean in the last couple, last month, right? Hurricane after hurricane. What do they do? They don't just, you know, stand back and let it happen. Some people do, um, but the wise people, they 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 protect their house, right? They they put sandbags around their foundation or, and put plywood up against the windows, right? They prepare because they know that a storm is coming. See, the unwise builder, he miscalculated the weather. He thought it was going to be sunny days all the days of his life. But he, he didn't see the change in seasons that was coming. He thought he could just sit on the beach and everything would be fine. But he didn't see that, the fact that there's a storm coming. We have the advantage as Christians in knowing that a storm is going to come at some point. Now, you know what You know what a lot of, a lot of Christians do, or a lot of um, people who have their foundation on the sand, a lot, of, a lot of those people do when a storm comes? They actually try and change their foundation. In the middle of a storm, middle of a thunderstorm, they try and change their foundation to, to one on the rock. They call up the most, the most spiritual person they know when they try and, try and uh, you know, get them to help. I got, a, I got a poor foundation, got a poor foundation. But how many know in the natural, you can't lay a foundation, you can't lay concrete when it's pouring rain, right? It's in that sunny time, it's in the, it's in the good season that when, when, it's, when things are going well that it's easy to lay that foundation. Um, so those are just some fun points. We're going to get to some meat and potatoes. You guys like meat and potatoes? Any vegetarians in the house? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we'll just give you potatoes. Um, I want to camp on one thought this morning uh, for the rest of this message. And I believe it is the main theme of this message, and it's the importance of being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Okay, I want to camp on that one thought here today, because that's the main takeaway. Now, I shared this next point last month, but I believe it so fits with today's message, I got to share it again. Um, And that is that if we don't carry out our faith, that we'll live in a place where we lose the revelations of God. Okay, Matthew 13, 19 says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. See, if we don't understand, then the enemy has rightful access. He has permission to take that seed that is planted in our heart. Now, we would come to know the word understanding in our culture as a mental comprehension, right? As a knowledge. Under, to understand something is to have knowledge. But in the culture that this verse was written it it actually has a totally different meaning. It actually is talking about a physical experience. That word understand is talking about doing. It's a practical application. Okay, I love the way the Greek defines it. It says, uh, learning which takes place through the five senses. See, the biblical view of knowledge, uh, biblical view is so much more than knowledge. But it is practicing in real life what you've come to know. So let me plug that back into the verse and we'll get a better understanding of it. So when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't put it into practice, then the enemy has rightful access to that seed that's been planted in our heart to take it away. So we secure the revelations of God when we put them into practice. But I believe that it goes so much further than just losing the revelations of God if we become hearers of the word only and not doers. And what, if, what if we were to apply this idea of being a hearer and not a doer into real-life situations? Right? What if you sent your kids to school to learn something, but they just heard the words only, but they didn't become doers of the word? They, teach, they, they go in to learn English, they come out speaking in tongues. I mean, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. but. Um. <laughs> Or, you know, I go to Timmy's and I get a coffee, right? I take my coffee, two milk, one sugar. In case anybody wants to buy my coffee, I'm free for coffee. Um, I go in and put in my order. They hear my order, they go, they make my order, but they don't do my order. They, they give me a coffee that's black. Ugh, gross. Nasty. <laughs> Sorry. What about this? What about the rules of the road? Huh? What if we heard the teachings and the rules of the road, but we didn't put it into practice? What if we heard about the speed signs, or the speed limit signs? What if we heard about the traffic lights? What if we heard about the yellow lines on the road, but we didn't put it into practice? It'd be utter chaos. It'd be like if I went to go visit Joe and Alan in the motherland. It'd just be like, absolute chaos, right? Driving on the wrong side of the road and stuff. You guys are are nuts. But what's more truth to us? The rules of the road or the Bible? Yet we esteem the rules of the road more because, because if we don't follow them, if we don't go by them, then we could die, right? But what happens if we don't follow the rules and the regulations in the Bible? You know, those regulations of the road, the rules of the road, they're there to protect us, right? They're there so that, so that we don't get hurt, so we don't get, go down the wrong path, so we don't get seriously killed. But that's what the Bible's there, to protect us, right? To protect us from going down the wrong path. Those rules, those regulations are there to protect us. Not there to shame us or so that we can't have any fun, but to, to keep us, what was it? Uh, guardrails, that guardrail series, right? They keep us there on the road so, so we go along the right path. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, 9 to 12 says this. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love uh, on those who love and obey his commands. But he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. Therefore, you must obey. If you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant, yada, yada, yada. So there's this teaching that happens throughout the Bible that talks about the importance of being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Right? It's throughout the whole Bible. This is talking about obeying the commands. But in verse 10, it slipped in there that says if we reject him or if we don't obey his commands, then we can be punished or destroyed. That kind of freaked me out. So I did a little research. What does that word destroy actually mean? So that word destroy actually means to blot out. To blot out. When we are hearers of the word only, we can be blotted out. Y'all are like, what is he talking about? Okay, let me, let me answer that. What does that mean? So I'm going to answer that in, in a bit of a roundabout way, and then we're going to answer it directly. Okay? You guys good with that? So there has been a movement in the last 50, 60 years that says that if you've said a sinner's prayer, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, if you've confessed your sins, that you've earned your, your, your right in heaven and can live the same lifestyle that you had before. And we, in this culture, North America, have been deceived into that lie more than any other culture in the world. That there is this license to sin, almost, in this culture. We've created this, and when I say we, I'm not talking about impact. I'm talking about the church as a whole. We've created this false gospel that, 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 that tells people that they can live whatever lifestyle they want with a false confidence that they've been saved because they said a prayer once when they were 12. It's nothing but a feel-good gospel, and it's seeker-friendly, and it's giving people to do whatever, the, the freedom to do whatever they want without any guilt. When in reality, there's actually no such thing as a sinner's prayer in the Bible. Has anybody found it? I haven't found it. Jesus never said, if you want to get to heaven, raise your hand. Or if you want to get to heaven, say this prayer. Right? It's just not in there. Yet we've created this step-by-step guide into how to get to heaven in these churches. You know, I'm not knocking this, you know, sinner's prayer. Um, but but it, I, I, I kind of compare it to this. It's like, it's like wedding vows on the day of marriage that leads up to a marriage. Right? it's like wedding vows you know when you get married you you kind of have a change life right i can't do the same things when i'm single as i do when i'm married right like i I kind of change a little bit and all the men said amen yeah (laughs) sorry all the wives said amen hallelujah but this 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 false gospel that's been preached has led to a false christianity it's led to a false salvation it's created converts but not disciples Jesus never said, if you want to... Jesus never said, go and make converts. He said, go and make disciples. It's created Christians, but it hasn't created Jesus' followers. And there's a difference. Those who follow God will hear his word and will obey his word. But Christians in our religious culture have said a prayer once and go on living the exact same lifestyle that they had before they got saved when people ask me if I'm a Christian, I actually tell them no. I'm a Jesus follower. And there's a difference. See, that word Christian used to mean little Christ. It's evolved. It used to mean a little Christ. But that's not what it means in today's society. It's been turned into this religious mindset of a false doctrine and a false gospel. You know, today's North American culture, Christians have been labeled as, um, they've become hearers and not doers of the word. And they've been labeled as haters and hypocrites by the media. I believe that's somewhat true. Jesus followers, on the other hand, are totally different. I see a lot of confused faces. I feel like I'm confusing people. Let me, um, how do you know if you're a Jesus follower? He's ahead of you, right? You follow somebody wherever they go. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's ahead of you. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, follow, right? That word follow actually means to imitate To imitate Christ. See, being a Christian nowadays seems like nothing more than just a a theology that people mostly agree with, but not as something that is whole truth. As followers of Jesus, we can't live like hell and proclaim heaven. That's called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs, but their own behavior does not conform. Can I give you an example? It would be like going home from church and watching something that's full of nudity, full of crazy amounts of swearing, taking the Lord's name in vain, full of excessive violence, and claiming to be a Christian. Can you watch that stuff and claim to be a Christian? Sure. In today's culture. Can you watch that stuff and be a follower of Jesus? No. Because Jesus isn't heading in that direction. You can't follow Jesus in a place that he's not going Can I go home and smoke other drugs I want in the world and claim to be a Christian? Sure. Today's culture? Yeah. Can I do that and call myself a Jesus follower? No. Because Jesus isn't going in that direction. (sighs) Is it getting hot in here? (laughs) 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 Jeepers. If I can be totally honest, there are a lot of TV shows that are so, so bad out there. And, and... uh, and we watch them and we, we, you know, there's a conviction, you know, maybe the first, second time, third time you watch it, but then that conviction slowly starts to go away. And that's a bad place when the conviction starts to go away. And then we start to think that it's okay because so long as I'm not participating in that, as so long as I just watch it and, 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 I, and I don't speak those things or I don't do those things, that it's okay. But the book of Matthew says that the eyes are a lamp or, or, or a window to our soul, which means that our eyes should be on Jesus and not on the evil stuff of this world. You know, people, when we watch that stuff, it opens up a lot of doors to some bad stuff in our life. It opens up doors for the, for the demonic to operate in our life. And I'll get to that a little bit later. But people wonder why, why, why they're stuck as a Christian, why they feel like they're treading water even though they call themselves a Christian. Well, I think it's because there's, there's a religious lifestyle there without an actual changed lifestyle. Christianity is not a philosophy. Christianity is a way of a changed life. But how could we become... Jesus followers, or how can we become disciples without knowing his teachings? Can I give you a picture of what, of what um, today's Christian culture looks like in a Bibleist society? There's a study done in 2002 in the States, and it was conducted on self identified Christians. They found that 48% of them couldn't name the four Gospels, 52% couldn't identify more than two of Jesus' disciples. 60% could not even name five of the Ten Commandments. And 61% of Americans think that the Sermon on the Mount was a sermon preached by Billy Graham. <laughs> I cannot make that stuff up. Yet we've created this society that is bibleless, this culture and church that is bibleless, that lives and thrives off of sermons. Pastors can't save people, the Bible can. How can we know his teachings if we don't spend more than two minutes a day in the Bible? I believe that if we don't... I believe that if we don't hunger after the word of God, then we're going to die of starvation. The Bible says that we don't, man can't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I want to answer that question a little bit more directly now from that verse in Deuteronomy. So this false doctrine has created... Or, sorry, that's, that was taught in our... Culture it says that once you become saved, you cannot become unsaved. Okay? And I want to piece together a couple of scriptures for you guys and help you guys to determine what that looks like um, and the, the false doctrine that's been t- taught in our culture. So that word blot out, I told you about that word blot out. So it's found in Psalm uh, 69, verse 28. It says, May they be blotted out of the book of life and not listed with the righteous. See, David understood that there's this book, there's this like, guest list to heaven, um, and, and people's names are written in it to get into heaven, but he understood that, that people's names could be blotted out of that book. Revelation, this is so powerful, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. So this is, this is Jesus' word, he's speaking to the church of Stardust. He's talking, and if it's written in the Bible, it's a prophetic word for today. And I believe that he was speaking to the church of today. He was speaking to the church of North America, in the end times church. He says this, To the angel of the church of Sardis, write this, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know all the things that you do. He says, I know all the things that you do. He doesn't say, I know your faith. He says, I know if you're a doer of the word. I know if you're a hearer only. But I know if you're a doer of the word. He carries on. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. He is talking to the church. He is saying that people... Are caught in this culture that think that they are saved, that think that they're going to heaven, that think that they're a Christian, but they're not. They think that they're living the lifestyle, but they're not. But they're dead. He says, Wake up in the next verse. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God, being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. That word "hold it fast" is talking about obedience. He's saying obey. So he says, "Hear the word of God, obey the word of God, and repent." And that repentance is an ongoing thing. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet there are some in the church of in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Those who haven't mixed themselves with evil. Those who don't participate or endorse the things that are evil. Those who don't have one foot in heaven and one foot in the world. All who are victorious will be clothed in white, for they are worthy. They are victorious. They are the ones that hold fast. It says, I will never erase, I will never blot out those people. I will never blot out their names from the book of life, but I will announce before them, before my Father and His angels, that they are mine. He will not erase those kind of people that, that walk, that are not hearers only. He will not erase the, the, the names of those that are doers of the word. And if he says that he won't blot out those names, then we must understand that, that there are names that are blotted out. Do you guys see that? James 1, 21 to 22 says, Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. It says which can save you. doesn't say it does. doesn't say it will. It has the potential to save. So how do we get saved? Next verse. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Be a doer. A doer of the word. 25 to 26 says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but by doing it, they will be blessed in whatever they do. They will be blessed in what they do. When they follow through on God's word, when they live it out, not just on Sunday morning, but at work, but at home and wherever. The same statement repeated in Deuteronomy 6.18. says, Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it will go well with you. It's a very simple, simple biblical principle here that when we do what is right, when we are doers of the word only, or doers of the word and not hearers only, that it will go well with us. You know, I've noticed in my life, when I'm, if I'm outside of the will of God, it's not going well for me. When I am in that safety of in the will of God, it goes well. Relationally, for instance. Before I met Carling, I dated a lot of girls. <gasps> and the, the whole world gasped. But, um, but when I was dating other people, I, I always butt heads with them. I was fighting about this and, you know, crazy disagreements. But then I met Carling, and we've been married for six years. We've not had one fight. Y'all think I'm a liar, don't you? Yeah. We have not had one fight. True, sir. Um, well, it's funny though, we had, a, we had a disagreement before we got married. Um, I, we went to a, a, a Queen's McMaster football game and she went to McMaster and, and I didn't, I'm a Kingston boy, and uh, I, I, I refused to cheer for McMaster. <laughs> it's a really funny story. That was actually the biggest argument we've had, it's kind of funny. And I, I was loyal to my city, I'm sorry. Amen. Um, <laughs> So let's continue on James uh, verse twenty six. Says those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a, rain, a tight rein on their tongue themselves, uh, and their religion is worthless. You know, sometimes um, Christians uh, can do a lot of works for God and do a lot of things that appear good. You know, like wear, you know, going to public wearing a cross necklace or you know you have the whole family over for thanksgiving dinner and you know you say this big long fancy grace prayer and then but then go on swearing just as much as their uncle swears throughout the whole the whole dinner right and then but their family would say that oh man that that guy's such a christian that guy's so religious but there's no there's no fruit behind that right That, that person's not living the lifestyle there's no fruit behind uh the faith right they call themselves a christian but their fruit is far from it from being a follower of jesus it's no different than going home and 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 swearing about this swearing about that or or um or you know watching something that god would hate watching something that's laced with all that bad stuff um you know we think it's no big deal when we watch and listen or listening to bad music that's full of swearing and stuff um, but but it affects us you know it actually opens up doors to to the bad stuff it's actually a spiritual thing You actually open up a door to the spiritual realm to allow the demonic to to, to torment us and and to operate. We give permission to that when when we walk in, in those things. And we wonder why there's, you know, that there's patterns of continued sickness or patterns of financial issues in households. And I think it's because that door has been left open for the enemy to walk in. We need to protect our household by the things that we watch and close that door. You know, we... We actually step outside of the protection of God when we participate in the things that God hates. You know, there's this protection of God. And, you know, it's one thing, you know, talking about stepping outside of our comfort zone, but, but I believe that when we watch those things, we step outside of the zone of the comforter when we do that. Okay, we step outside of the protection of God. And we, uh, we actually, uh, we, we give permission to the enemy to, to work in that area. Okay, when, when, we, when we participate or endorse the things that God hates. We are vulnerable to attack. Um, I wasn't sure if I was gonna share this, but I feel like it needs to be shared. Um, I talking about the things that that God hates. Um, There is something in our culture that is so bad, um, but is seen as innocent. Um, It's seen as something that's that's no big deal, that is a, a ton of fun. And I don't say this, to to shame anybody or anything but it needs to be exposed that um, and I have my eyes open to this recently but it is something that there's so much deception in our culture around and it's it's Halloween that is the most dark and demonic and satanic thing that happens in our culture Yet we endorse it we embrace it the the roots the the origins of that are so dark I'm talking I'm sorry I'm being graphic human sacrifice Babies sacrificed around Halloween. I'm not talking about just the roots of it. I'm talking about here today in 2017. This stuff happens. This is real. Human sacrifice. Halloween. And not just like, oh, let's get on a bus to Salem, Massachusetts and sacrifice a baby. This happens in Kingston. Right before our very eyes. This is so real. It's so dark. And my heart breaks for this stuff that happens and we openly participate in it and you know we, we uh checked out another we were on vacation and we were at another church and there's a guest speaker there and she uh she used to be a practicing witch she was demon possessed uh, by 11 different demons and she was set free by the blood of jesus but now she preaches across the world and we had a chance to have a conversation with her and she used to practice in this stuff i'm not talking about a witch like flying around on a, on a broom handle or whatever in a pointed hat but like, she practiced in, in, in the demon-possessed stuff, casting spells, incantations, all that stuff. She knew people that were doing these things, human sacrifices on Halloween. It's so real, you guys. It happens in our backyards. And you know what she said to me? That hit me so hard. She says, you would never catch a witch anywhere near a church on Easter or Christmas, yet Christians will openly celebrate this Halloween. She says, that they celebrate in it. Witches actually celebrate and rejoice in the fact that Christians will participate in this stuff. Seriously, is the heat like like blowing? <laughs> we need to hate the very things that God hates instead of endorsing it. You know, a lot of people say that God can't hate because God is love. I'd say on the contrary, God must hate because God is love. I love children, therefore I hate abortion. If I love that which is holy, I must hate that which is unholy. You guys follow? But why do we love and support things in this Christian, Christian culture that God would hate and open up the door to spiritual attack because of these things? We're taking ourselves, we're physically blocking the blessing of God when we participate in stuff like that. You know, when I look at Christians, there's a lot of beliefs out there that are based on a godless culture more than it is the, the word of God. Churches have allowed the culture to dictate their doctrine instead of doctrine dictating their culture. You know, in uh, the, the Ivy League schools in the States, uh, the foundations are all biblically based. They're so founded in Christianity. But they've, they've, they've changed so far from that. The, the school at uh, Yale, Yale University, their motto when they first started was instructed in the arts and science through the blessing of Almighty God. The school of Harvard, you know what their motto was? Truth for Christ and church. Hmm. Yet now, those are the most humanistic, anti-Christ schools that exist in our culture. Why? It starts with subtle changes. It starts with a little bit here, give way to this, then give way to that, then give way to this. All in the name of love, all in the name of acceptance and tolerance. You know the first change that Harvard made? Truth for Christ and church. They removed Christ and church and called it truth. That's the biggest oxymoron I think I've ever heard. If we're not careful, if we're not vigilant, this stuff will happen to our churches in this culture, that we allow certain things, we accept certain things, we allow culture to change our doctrine. You know, many churches have led people to believe that they can profess Jesus, but live like the world. And then, then they compare themselves with one another and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. I'm not as bad as that person. But the thing, the thing is, we're not judged eternally by other people. We're judged by God eternally, right? These people laugh at what God hates uh, and, 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 and live like the world, talk like the world, walk like the world and think that they're saved even though they don't look any different than the world around them. This is a false doctrine that started many, many decades ago, and it's created a lot of carnal Christians, worldly Christians. But in reality, there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Let me share what, what Jesus had to say about this. John 8.31, he says, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, Okay, key point here. He says, to those who believe. remember that. This, this whole next passage is, to those who believe." If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. If, if you hold to my teachings. Remember, these are the people that believed in Jesus. Verse 32 says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You guys seeing this? Let me turn this around. Okay, I'm going to say this backwards. And then I think it will help explain this. So how do you get free? You get free when you know the truth. How do you know the truth? When you are one of his disciples. And you become one of his disciples by doing what Jesus said. That's how we get free. Fast forward to verse 51. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my words will never see death. Now he's not talking about earthly death, but he's talking about will never see hell. Those who walk in obedience will never see hell. Remember, who's he talking to? Believers. Let's go back to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Just before a parable in verse 13 and 14, he says, Narrow is the road, and narrow is the gate that leads to life. And only a few find it, but wide is the gate to death, and many find it. There are two roads, just like there are two foundations. Um, I believe that there's going to be a lot of surprises at the gates of heaven one day. That there are people that have been deceived into a religious mindset that believe that they can be hearers of the word only and not doers. And it so wrecks my heart. It says that the path is narrow. Why? Because when we choose heaven, I believe that our options in life become narrowed. The further we go with God, the less stuff we can take with us. You now, we don't just get to follow the culture, uh, 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 the world around us, and just do what everybody else is doing. It'd be like if you're on a diet and going to the Mandarin and plop in a chair and just mowing on dessert, right? Like, you just can't do that. I've wanted to do that multiple times. Um, Lunch? You want to go to the mandarin for lunch? Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, a couple of verses later, Matthew seven twenty one says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. People who claim to be a Christian, who put on the show of being a Christian, won't enter heaven's gates. This is the fear, this verse, this fear drives me daily. Fear can be a good thing. Fear can be a good motivator. You know, if you see a lion... You're going to, it's going to put a little fear in you to run faster than you've ever run before. Or at least faster than the person beside you. <laughs> fear can be a good motivator. Let this fear motivate you to run faster to Jesus than you've ever run before. These verses have driven me to, to teach only the truth, nothing but the truth, and to not, to not filter the word down to the seeker-friendly gospel so, so that numbers come flocking, but to teach the truth and the whole truth. You know, we have an opportunity corporately as a church to expose the spirit of religion, to expose the lies of the enemy, and to step further into some of the the greatness that God has for our church. You know, some of the greatest moves of God have happened out of a place of the fear of the Lord. Uh, The North American church that we live in is almost lifeless compared to some of the churches in in, in Southeast Asia or or South America or, or, or Africa. Why? Because they live in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord has vanished from North American churches. I share this because I want to expose the, this false doctrine, expose the lies of the enemy that says that we, we shouldn't fear God. You know, and our church doesn't do this, and I'm thankful that, that Cameron's allowed me to speak on this. Um, but I don't want to get to heaven one day, and God ask me, why did you hesitate to preach the whole word? I'm going to be judged for every word that I say. And, and, and I, don't want, well, I don't want someone to get lost because, because I hesitated to speak the whole truth. You know, we appreciate it when we go out to dinner with somebody and, and, you know, we have a piece of spinach stuck in our teeth and, you know, with, you're with all your friends and, and the elephant in the room is definitely the spinach that's in your teeth, right? But we appreciate that one friend that's willing to say, hey, like, you got a little something in your teeth, right? We appreciate that person. Now, I don't want your appreciation. That's the very last thing I want. I'm not speaking this to get your appreciation. I'm, 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 I'm sharing this to, to expose the spinach in the room that is the spirit of religion go back to our last scripture. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of God. So who could that be? That could be anybody. But it's, he it says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Apart from me, you evil doers. It Comes back to doing, being a doer of the word. By the way that we live determines our salvation. We go, when, we can go to church, we can talk the talk, we can walk the walk, we can put on the show, but it's who you are outside of Sunday that counts. Those who do evil, those who participate in it, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the, this, this is the fear that drives me daily. and I've never understood this more than I have today. That, and to not even flirt with the things that are evil. To not even tempt myself to go even close to evil and to run in the complete opposite direction and not to expose myself to the things that God hates. And I believe that the churches in these last days in this culture have run from the fear of the Lord. There's no fear of the Lord in the churches. Now, it, it, it's almost offensive to say in some churches that we should fear the Lord. Because God is love. You know, somebody asked me what, what the fear of the Lord is. I said, the fear of the Lord should scare the hell right out of you. Right? I don't mean that to curse or whatever, but it should scare the hell right out of you. You know, without the fear of the Lord, I believe that there's no reason not to sin. If we're still focused on the love of God, then there's no reason not to sin. It's the fear of the Lord that drives us out of that. But People are so focused on the one side of the gospel, the, 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 the only the love of... There's such a hyper-love movement happening right now in North America. There's such a hyper-grace movement happening right now that we've forgotten about the fear of the Lord. It's like there's a, there's like a teeter-totter, and there's an elephant sitting on the, the God is love side, and instead of the fear of the Lord side, there's like a little toddler. Right? We, we've so shifted it. But a balance. We need a healthy balance in our churches. You know... Um, I've seen a lot of people that post, very, you know, really encouraging verses on grace or forgiveness and, and God's love and stuff, which is awesome. I think that's, that's so good. But, um, but a lot of people take that out of context as a justification to sin. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of people that don't know Jesus, they, they might actually get saved based on seeing that kind of verse and they go, like, oh man, God is so awesome. Like, I can still do whatever I want. But, the, you know, they see those verses, the two verses that you post that are encouraging and stuff, but they don't see the very next verse that's hidden that says that if you walk in obedience, Right? And it's created a lot of worldly Christians that are so focused on the one side of the gospel. Romans 2.13 says, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law that will be declared righteous. Again, must be doers of the word and not hearers only. We become righteous when we obey the word of God. Now, many would counter what I'm saying today by reading Ephesians 2.8-9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a very gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. But the problem is, a lot of people stop at verse 9. Right? We post that stuff. stop at verse 9. But anybody ever read verse 10? It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's actually why we're created. We are created for good works. Amen. Hallelujah. James 2.17 says faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. Faith, if it is not backed up by an action, it needs activation to work, otherwise it's dead. And no dead faith can save anybody. You know, the church as a whole would be quick to scream, you're talking about the law, you're talking about the old covenant, you're talking about about, uh, works. And there's this fear to teach something that's offensive or uncomfortable. But what I share, I promise you, is all biblical. I have a thousand verses up here. And I share it out of love because I fear where the church is headed. I fear where the North American church is headed, down the wrong path. You know, I, I, I so wish that I could be in those third world countries that revival is just exploding in these churches. But I'm not. I stay here. I choose to be here because I know that revival has to happen here. There must be a revival in the church, in this city, in this country, in this, in this, in this North American culture. And if it has to happen somewhere, why can't it happen right here? Why can impact church not be the start of a revival of something massive that breaks the spirit of religion and exposes the lies of the enemy? The Bible said that Christ is coming back for a spotless bride. You know, a lot of people say, man, Jesus is coming, like, tomorrow. So I feel it, tomorrow's the day. No, I don't think he's coming back anytime soon, to be totally honest with you. Because he says Christ is coming back for a spotless bride. Have you looked at the, the church as a whole in North America? We are far from a spotless bride. That's just my thought, though. 1 John 2, 7 sums up my entire message. It says, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they're righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. See, John knew that one day, in the times that we're in today, people would be so deceived. And he And says when people keep on sinning he knew that people would claim to live as christ but keep on walking in, in patterns of continued uh, sin he prophetically saw today first john 3 9 says those who have been born into god's family do not make a practice of sinning because god's life is not in them so they can't keep on sinning because they're children of god so now we can tell who are children of god and who are children of the devil anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers, does not belong to God. This is so real. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. This is so real. And there's such a deception in our culture, and it so messes me up. It so breaks my heart. You know, works is not an evidence of faith. But I'm talking about the fruits of a Christian lifestyle. Okay? Paul said that God, God saved you, but it's our responsibility to live a changed life. God makes all things new, but it's our job to keep it new. You know, a lot of Christians, when we become Christians, it says that the Bible says that we died to our old self, right? We became a new creation. You know what a lot of Christians do? They, try, they go back to their grave and they have a little ceremony and they try and dig up the old man because that, that was their comfort zone. Seriously, AC, like, come on now. No, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Totally. There needs to be an evidence of faith. An evidence of faith. That's what I'm talking about today. The fruit of a Christian lifestyle. You know, um, there needs to be an evidence of an encounter with Jesus. You know, a great example of this is uh, the woman who poured perfume on Jesus's feet. Right? She she um, dried his feet with her hair. Okay. She she later in the day she would have left that place. She would have walked throughout the city, walked back home. She would have smelled like Jesus smelled. There was evidence on her of an encounter that she had with Jesus. There needs to be evidence in our life that we have had a, a, a Jesus encounter, a God encounter. John 5, 3, says, The very works I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. Jesus says, By the works that he's doing testify that the Father has sent me. By the works that Jesus walked in, proved that he was from the Father. A little bit later, John twenty twenty one 21 says, As the Father sent me, Jesus, I am sending you. So in the very same way that, that Jesus was created for good works, created to live that lifestyle, so were we created. That's who we are. Now, good deeds can't earn salvation, but I believe that bad deeds can refute it. The Bible says that no one can snatch you out of his hand. That's true. Galatians 5.1 says, So Christ has truly set us free, but make sure that you stay free. A lot of, a lot of people, when they, get, when they get saved, when they have an encounter with Jesus, they've been in prison their whole life. They've been in prison, and then when when Jesus comes, he he opens the door and says, you're free to go. A lot of Christians are like, sweet, I got freedom. But they stay here, they camp right here. And they look back and see, oh man, that bed's really comfy. I was was really used to that. You know, I got some pictures on the wall. And then they, they walk back in because that's all they've ever known. It's our job to stay free. We've been given the key We can run in the opposite direction, but a lot of people go back into that comfort zone. I believe that if works don't reflect relationship, then there's no true genuine relationship. Galatians 5.13 says, You are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. saying don't pervert the grace that God's given as a license to sin. Verse 16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Verse 21, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, when I got married, um, it's the happiest day of my life. Um, When I got married, I went from uh, a me mentality to a we mentality. Right? My life changed. I no longer made decisions based on me, myself, and I. I made decisions based on we and what is best for us. So I can't go out and have a relationship with 15 other girls. right? Because Carly, yeah, phew, I got a stern look there. <laughs> because Carlin doesn't share her love well, right? You know what else Carly doesn't share? Dessert. <laughs> that is a fact. She's, she's the first to admit it. It's okay, I'm allowed to say that? <laughs> Caroline doesn't share well. She's a jealous dessert eater. Uh, God, God, God's love is jealous for us, right? God says that his love is jealous. God doesn't share us well. You are God's dessert. God doesn't share you well. Bible says we can't serve two masters. We need to decide if it's him or it's the other thing. I, count, I account for Carling in every decision in my life because it affects her. Same with the Holy Spirit inside me. Every decision that we make affects the Holy Spirit that is within us. Um, this message, like I said, is totally different than anything I've ever done before. Um, but there's joy in the morning. Can we have some happy time? Let's have some happy time. Man, oh man, Okay. I shared what it looks like when we're doers of the word and not hearers only, but what happens when we are doers of the word? Okay, happy time, time. Now, um, let me preface that by saying, okay, I'm not perfect. Carly, you're perfect. Um, But I'm not perfect. So we have all sinned, okay? Come on, raise your hand if you've sinned. Liars, some of you didn't raise your hand. So please don't misunderstand that, that we need to be perfect, okay? That, that we, we will be perfect, okay? Because all, it says, the Bible says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. I'm talking about like patterns of, sickness, patterns of, of sin and, and, and continually walking in that kind of thing and, and allowing different uh, things in our life. Um, we, we've all walked in, we've all stumbled, okay? But I want to talk to you what it, what it means to be a doer of the word, what it looks like to be a doer of the word, and this is awesome. So Deuteronomy 11:27 27 says, Blessings, if you obey the, uh, commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. And Deuteronomy 11 says, So if you faithfully obey the commands I give you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and your soul, then I will send rain on your land. Then we'll be blessed. When we are doers of the word of God, we'll be blessed. When we're in a healthy place, God will pour out the very best of heaven onto your life. When we are doers of the word, God will send uh, the blessings of eternity into a day-to-day life as we walk. Um, I pray that this message this morning um, would cause you to run faster than you've ever run before um, and to, to expose the lies of the enemy uh, and, and to, to, to share with other Jesus followers that the kingdom of God is here and, and that, that we've been, there's a mandate for us to expose these lies, to expose the lies of the enemy. And to stand up for the church that God's called us to be. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.